Welcome to the Fearless Year podcast. Where we're dedicated to helping ourselves. And you along with us. Break our codependent relationship with fear. I am Dr. Rebecca Heiss. And I'm Nathan Robinson. Together, we talk to experts about traits and skills and areas we hope to grow in as leaders of businesses, families, and communities. Skills and traits like creativity. The ability to confront. Empathy. And time management. Your Fearless Year is all about fearing less. And doing more. Let's dive in. Let's do it. Hey folks, welcome back to The Fearless Year. I'm Nathan. I'm Rebecca. And today we have David Dye with us. David, thank you so much for coming on. It's my pleasure. We are so excited to have David here. He founded the uh, training firm Let's Grow Leaders with his wife, Karen Hurt. Um, And I love the mission statement, so I just have to read this. You help human-centered leaders resolve workplace ambiguity so that they can drive innovation, productivity, and revenue without burning out employees. How great is that? Well, thank you. It it is very great. We love that work. Awesome. So David is here because he is an expert in setting expectations. Start off really simple for us. How would you even define setting good expectations? So I, I take it take it back to my own journey in leadership and management. And you know, you, you have a frustration with a team member, and ninety nine percent of the time, that conversation is going to end in oh, I didn't know which is a head scratcher. It's going back to, okay, wait a minute. We did not have clear shared expectations of one another. Or, and some people don't care for the word expectations because it feels like aggressive or something. Fine, call it an agreement. But we have, I mean, whatever we call it, we have expectations of one another. It's part of being a human being. And so what is the agreement we have of what we can expect of one another in terms of uh, our performance as a team member, our commitment to the work we're doing. And I'm coming at this obviously from a leadership and management perspective given the work that we do, but what are those agreements? And the reality is, as human beings, we have those expectations that we're carrying inside our head all the time. The question is, have we got them out on the table between the two or three or five or 15 or a thousand of us and agreed on what they are going to be? Yeah, that's, I mean, I, I think about this from a leadership perspective, certainly, but also just in regular old relationships. Like, sure. you know, we have a, an unset expectation. Like if there's something on, on the calendar, you're here at this time or I'm there or, you know, in, in your relationship with your wife, I'm sure you have tons of, you know, setting expectations daily because you have not only, you know, our typical complications with partnership, um, but also a business on top of that, which I will just say personally, for my partner and I, uh, we can't do it. Like we cannot work together. The, we cannot set expectations for one another that we can meet in business. It works great in relationships, but not in business. So anyway, it, doesn't, I, it doesn't work all the time for everyone. And you know, we would be the first to say, absolutely. It's, it, it is definitely work. And the expectations are a huge part of it. Absolutely. Yeah, I think about, I often think about, um, my wife and I will joke about secret expectations. So <laughs> not just unspoken, but the ones that you're, you're, uh, some part of you is holding back intentionally uh, because what you expect uh, with a partner is mind reading. And so that I get to keep this secret because you're supposed to be able to figure it out. And, um, and of course, we, you know, we joke about it in, you know, when we're not in the middle of, conflict you know i think about the the trash can expectation right (laughs) both of us expect that when the trash can is full whoever sees it takes it out right but my expectation of full is i can't it like the lid won't close anymore right her expectation is it's nearing the top of the trash can right (laughs) and because our 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 
defined expectations or they're not defined, that can create this, this situation where it, it didn't, I agree that I'll take it out when it's full, but I nev- <laughs> it's never full. It's, it's magic, right? I, I mean, I'm actually curious. There's a question there, too. Like, how, how do you manage expectations when setting expectations? That's, that's just a single expectation, right, in a relationship. But if you're trying to lead a company or you have a family of five or six, or how do you say, okay, this is the expectation? And, you know, is there a way to, to manage everybody's individual approach to that? Well, I, first, I love that idea of secret expectations. And, and the reason that's so important is because I like to say I'm telepathetic. Like I can't read minds, right? So telepathetic. I'm writing that down. That's great. So we have to have, and so is everybody else, right? We have to have these conversations. So we actually have a tool that we use both for, and we use it ourselves for relationships, but we encourage leaders and managers to use it with their teams or their organizations. We call it the expectations matrix. And so if you just imagine a two axis graph, right? Uh, On one axis, you have what I expect, what I don't expect. And then on the other axis, it's what I receive, what I don't receive. And so you've got the intersection of these things. What are the things I'm expecting that I am receiving, right? I'm expecting that when I get up in the morning, you're going to say, good morning. Hey, that's happening. Fantastic. I expect that, uh, you know, when you turn in a, a spreadsheet, that the, the equations or the, the, the data is going to be accurate and the equations are going to be cross-checked and you're going to add up. And I'm getting that. That's fantastic, right? But then what are we expecting that we're not receiving? or not expecting that we are receiving, you know, an example there, like, I'm not expecting you to be sending emails at two in the morning. Right. I know some of your colleagues do. I don't expect that. Don't need to be doing that. Right. Uh, so we have these conversations and then, the, and, and you have everybody fill this out individually and then come together and have the conversation. Mm-hmm. And so you can use that kind of a tool in so many different areas of life to see where those are happening. So extending your trash can analogy, right. Um, there's the definition of what does fool mean? Then there's the definition of what does I will take it out mean. For some people, that means I will take it out in the next 10 minutes. So for other yeah. people, I will take it out sometime in the next couple of days. You know, is it sneaky? <laughs> right? And so you, you've got that kind of range of things. Well, let's take it to the, the level of a meeting. So when we're having a conversation about the meeting starts at nine, what does on time look like? I'll have that level of definition. On time for, let's say this is a a meeting where you can be in person. On time means your rear is in the chair. You've read the the prior material and you're ready to ask intelligent questions starting five seconds before nine o'clock. Actually, you can get to that level. And and people will have expectations of you as a leader as well. And sometimes they're fair and unspoken. And sometimes they're unfair and unspoken. And so you've got to surface those and then have the discussion. I, re- I recognize that you would like me to be on site with you uh, all the time. Realistically, I cannot be there all the time. Uh, it's going to be once every two weeks. It's probably as much as I can get there. Can we talk about some alternate ways to get you what you need? Hmm. So you have conversations. I I really like that the idea of surfacing these um, what you said you know secret expectations. Do you have strategies to get after that? I mean. If I don't, I don't know what I don't know, right? And so if I'm looking at a, a partner or an entire organization and I'm saying, okay, what do I think their secret is? How do I elicit those um, in a safe, comfortable environment for, for everyone? Well, the first place to start is with yourself. And so again, mm-hmm. from a leadership perspective, I'll have expectations of people all the time and I only start to recognize I have them and haven't spoken them when I'm getting frustrated with them, right? <laughs> 
so I've, I'm frustrated that uh, my assistant hasn't sent me that thing. Well, did I tell her when it was due? Or have we created a standard operating arrangement around when things of that nature are due? What do people like us do in that circumstance? If we haven't had that conversation, it's not fair of me to be frustrated with her. It's on me as a leader to get things defined. So A, it, as with every other kind of leadership, lead by starting with yourself, lead by example. Hmm. Then have that conversation with your team or your partner or your whoever you're in a relationship with. Hey, listen, in life, there are things we expect uh, and that for whatever reason, background, history, culture, values, whatever it might be that we expect of one another. And sometimes we don't know they're there and they will lead to frustration. And so I like to, when, when I'm in a leadership role, I like to tell my team, listen, it's not that we're never going to step on each other's toes. Mm -hmm. It's not that we're going to, uh, we're not going to disappoint each other. We are, we're going to step on each other's toes. We're going to disappoint one even unintentionally, hopefully not intentionally, but it's going to happen unintentionally. Yep. What will distinguish us and the health of this team is how well we talk about those things after they happen. And so when we become aware of them, so creating that kind of a culture and then leading by example, defining this is the box we're playing in. And then as you see it happening, encouraging it. And when you see it not happening to, to privately have those conversations, and, you know, I'm observing this, it's, it feels like this to me. Do I have that wrong? What, what does it look like from your perspective? takes a lot of courage <laughs> i mean a lot of a lot of openness and and uh vulnerability there frankly well that's yeah. what i'm hearing that's why the name of our most recent book is courageous cultures nice ah, there nice. you go perfect and you know it it occurs to me the biggest fear threshold in that situation is starting mm. right it's it's being willing to go and have that first conversation to say hey can we talk about this can i can i get in rome can i ask permission of you to have this conversation because you know there's some part of our our brain or our, our systems going oh what if they don't want to talk they might kill me right um but what no, if they have something bad to say right Even exactly <laughs> exactly that first hurdle is the most challenging are we pulling on the right string there yeah, absolutely. So let's just, let's go to the second half of the title, culture. What, the, what the heck is culture? Our favorite definition of culture comes from Seth Godin, so the marketing guru. And Seth says that uh, culture is simply people like us do things like this. Yeah. I love that. It's, it's great. It gets to the heart of it. That's culture. It's what people like us do. People like us in this organization, people like us in this family, people like us in this team, whatever it is. So what do people like us do? Well, in a courageous culture, people like us raise our hand when we see a problem and point out some possible solutions. We, we're micro-innovating. We're, we're coming up with ideas. We're advocating on behalf of the customer and the employee experience and productivity and efficiency and, and all of those things. Well, the reality is it's a little paradox because in a courageous culture, if everyone is doing that, the peer pressure is to do that. So it right. takes less courage for any individual to raise their hand. Where does the courage come in? It's what you just said. It's for the leader to go first. Hmm. Yeah. The, the simplicity of, of how, you know, breaking out a culture to say it's people like us that do things like this. Oh, I can, I can get yeah. that. The first expectation is that we will talk about our expectations. Good way to say it. Let's return a little bit back to, to you and what led you to this work? My own frustrations and failures as a manager and a leader, mm. um, you know, 90% of the time when we go into work with a manager or a leader and, and they are frustrated, and 
my team's underperforming or this person's not doing it. And, and any person who's been in human resources any length of time will tell you this happens. This is 90% of their job sometimes when it comes to dealing with problem situations is that you'll have a leader who's frustrated that something isn't happening and then he'll have a conversation with that leader and say, okay, so um, what's your expectation? What does success look like here? And they say, well, it looks like this. Okay, well, do they know that? Yeah. Well, do I have to tell them? Do I have to paint them a picture? <laughs> I mean, these are obviously you can tell, like I have said those words and mm -hmm. I have heard those words from innumerable leaders and managers. And the answer is, well, yes, you do. Mm. Um, we can't assume because everybody's coming at things from a different perspective and, and different personalities. So like just a, a quick, easy example, if you're a, a type A individual and you delegate an assignment, when did you want it done? Yesterday. Exactly. You don't really <laughs> you're well, talking to her. <laughs> well, if you're delegating to a process oriented person and they have a to-do list, where does it go on their to-do list? Imagine a visual written to-do list. Where do they put that item? Right at the bottom the bottom of their to-do list. Why? Not because it's not important, because that's the next blank space. And if they're a process-oriented individual, when do they get to that item? You may be saving my marriage right now. <laughs> Very last thing, right? There it I is. Crossed <laughs> off everything above it. Why? Not because it's not important, because that's when it gets done process-wise, next thing on the list. Mm -hmm. So it's up to you as, a, as the person delegating to say, and this is when this thing is due. We haven't said that and then we're walking around pulling out our hair kicking things right because don't they get it why isn't it that's not fair to them and you're not yeah. leveraging their talents and abilities to the, to the best use in the team and so that's just one example of the way that different ways of being can create that kind of conflict when a simple discussion up front would have solved it and so i've had that experience so many times in my own life and i mean continue to learn just how important this is I love that. I'm actually, I'm sitting here and I can feel my own, like, I'm flushing a little kind of like, why, why do you think it is? You know, cause I, I heard you say, this is, this is what leaders do, right? You get to, well, have you said it? And we're like, well, yeah, you know, we get all this defensive energy and I'm, I'm curious as I think about it and I'm sitting here going, but why, hmm. why, why is that so difficult to say, yeah, I've had the conversation. They still don't get it. Or I think <laughs> I had the conversation with them. I think I set the expectation, oh, yeah, maybe. Maybe that's but it. I can't really point to it. I don't know. What's, what's your insight? Um, well, I definitely think that happens. And as far as the, the defensive energy that you're talking about, I, I think some of it comes from let's, let's take the visionary type of leader, right? And there's different kinds, different ways of leading right there, there are the people who can lead relationally and from a very nurturing place and they're coming at leadership differently than the type a like go now go go right both can be effective but the the go now the urgent type of leadership that has a vision of what's trying to be accomplished and has a a, a natural it's part of the dna way of saying this we need to go now we need to go fast that needs to get done it is so self-evident to them that other people don't jive with that, it's frustrating hmm. because this is so self-evident to me. Well, it is equally self-evident to other people and other types of personalities that the primary motivator should be to get this right, or the primary motivator should be to do this in a way that we're really connected with, with one another. And, or for other people that we're going to do it in a creative, innovative way, right? There's lots of different drives that people have. And so recognizing that we all have those natural things by DNA, 
or nature nurture. I don't know where they come from. I'm not going to sure. claim, but it, they are there, right? And so the 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 energy I think that you're describing comes from the fact that, and we all do this. I do. Hmm. We think other people should be like us. <laughs> You're people like me. You know, this is the culture that we're in. This is people like me. So we all should have these same. You just said it there. That's exactly why culture takes work and culture takes mission and it takes surfacing the expectations. Mm -hmm. So my sister, uh, years ago, I'm I'm red, green, colorblind. So if if anybody out there is red, green, colorblind, what that means is I can see red, I can see green. I cannot see red on a field of green. Mm. I have a, a hard time differentiating that. So she gave me this sticker one time. I can't read it. It just looks like a sea of green and dots. But what it says is deaf to the colorblind, which tells you something about my sister. But I kept that sticker on my desk as an executive for a decade, for years and years. And, and I still show that in programs and, and trainings and keynotes and things. that I'll, I'll show people that. The reason that I kept that in front of me is as a reminder that other people see the world differently than they mm-hmm. are. And we have to keep that. And when it comes to this conversation on expectations, we have to keep that in front of us every day is that they're coming in with their set that they haven't even examined just the way I've got my set that I haven't examined. Mm -hmm. And so as a leader for us to be able to pull those together and and as we've been talking, surface them is going to make us more effective. That's really powerful. And I think about perspectives and truth and sometimes the it can, one truth you mean well it, it can be an easy pot shot to say oh your your truth my truth everybody's got their own truth but what i think your colorblindness illustrates <laughs> is that for you the 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 rea- your reality is not that you don't see red or green your reality is that there's not a a, a differentiating factor in this sticker there isn't it I is and I still can't read it. Right. Right. That's, you, I love that yeah. point. Yeah. You know, you know the punchline. You know what someone else is trying to communicate to you or they're communicating their reality, but there's still a disconnect. We have to put down these these sort of weapons of I'm right and therefore you're wrong. And instead say, This is my perception and it is real, but your perception for you, I empathize that it is just as real as mine. Yeah. It's the yes and, right? right. That constant. Yes, and and then and here's the thing. So we all as individuals show up with our own perceptions, our own ways of being, our own understandings, and so on. And there's a team now. There's an organization. And whether that team is a husband and wife or a parent and child or a work team, we are now going to create the set of agreements within which this team works. You know, so we have agreements in our family, right? If something happens, we're going to talk about it. We're not mm-hmm. going to, you know, integrity is important. And so even if it's uncomfortable, even if it's painful, we're going to talk about those things. But the corresponding part of that agreement is no one's ever going to get totally slammed for speaking the truth and bringing it up. And, and even if it's painful, we're going to deal with it. Mm-hmm. Right. So whatever your operating agreements that you create as human beings are, every team has their own set. Sometimes they're accidental. Sometimes they're intentional. I would contend in the higher functioning team for intention. Yeah. And, you know, unlike, so you can't work yourself into differentiating between red and green. However, now after tw- 12 years of marriage, when I walk by the trash can and I, and I, <laughs> and I open it up, 
Like I see it, I have a now different definition of full, right? My definition has changed and I don't have to think, oh, this is what my wife wants, right? right? Instead, just my definition changed because our culture over time created that change and now my reality has changed as well. People like us do things like this. You've been talking about creating intentional cultures and and um, you know really relying on setting expectations to do that. And do you, do you have a story about a journey that either you or a client went on where setting expectations was, was really key for success? Boy, I, I think it would be harder to think of one where it's not. <laughs> it's fair. One that we have had a, a fun journey with, uh, they are in pharmaceutical marketing uh, company and, and uh, their office is located in Manhattan. They kind of work worldwide, that kind of thing. And very fast paced industry that they're in. And their CEO is this amazing woman, her name is Jeannie, and they were doing some work on culture a couple of years ago, and that's when we got involved with them. And they were um, defining their values and, and pulling out definitions and then talking about what that looked like. And this is where I think when you really want to create culture and you really want to tap into values, you don't know what those are until you've done this work. So I'm going to use a counter example and go back to Jeannie's work. Great. So I was working with an engineering firm years ago. Um, they had been number one in their industry, global uh, software hardware manufacturer for years and years and years. But the, the, the competition was catching up and they were starting to get eclipsed. And so they, he, he created, we call it the MIT, the most important thing. And what success looks like, we've got to launch this new product, right, to, to reclaim our market share. Everything is about the new product. Okay, great. And he felt like he had been very clear with the expectations. But his sales vice president and his engineering vice president were, I don't know that I've ever seen a greater level of conflict between two human beings. Than wow. I mean, it was knockdown, drag out, yelling, screaming, flush, no physical violence, but everything short of it. Mm. And I did some individual coaching, got in there, figured out what was going on. Bottom line, what was going on? Unclear expectations. Mm. The sales team was losing customers and the customer relations, they were, they were, just eroding customers because they weren't getting help with their current products from engineering to keep the current products working and solve problems for existing customers. Existing customers were leaving. Their bonus structure was still based on selling and maintaining the old technology, not on the new stuff. Mm. Engineering had one mission, get the new stuff out the door, right? And the CEO was frustrated because he felt like they should just be solving things. Mm. And I had to bring it to his attention and say, listen, there is an unclear set of expectations. What do you mean? I can't be more clear. I said, well, your bonus structure for your salespeople says otherwise. Oh, I love that. See, and that's 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 these supporting layers, these supporting structures. Like you may say this, but everything that you're doing, or the way that you you know your people are compensated, or the way they're rewarded, or the way they're recognized, says otherwise. Yep. So yeah. getting that alignment is huge. Well, here's the, the the unfortunate punchline: is that CEO lost his job. Oh boy didn't resolve the situation, um, the, the board replaced it. Yeah. Flip over to this, this uh, pharmaceutical marketing company, Jeannie as CEO, one of the things that she did, and we got to facilitate it, this was brilliant. Take your values, take your what success looks like and stack them up against each other and talk about the conflicts. And so she seated an all hands meeting with executives who had been with the company for a long time talking about well, here is a situation I ran into. And these were handpicked stories from their careers about when two of their most key values, like 
you know, get it done versus compassion for the customer, we're in conflict with one another. And then what do you do? And so they would tell the story, stop short of the solution, and then ask everybody, so what do you, what would you do? How would you handle it? And they'd workshop it and get all kinds of different ideas. And then finally, the executive would say, well, here's what I actually did. And then have those conversations around what does this value look like in practice, recognizing that these things come into conflict with one another, what should take priority when, and when do we go for help, all those kinds of conversations. And they have built a beautiful culture that continues, and, and unlike what many are not able to do, they have acquired other people and, and been able to propagate that culture through their acquisition. It's been really cool to watch. Hmm. You know, you said something in the first part of that story with the uh, the, the CEO that that uh, was removed from power. When he said, well, what, what about the expectations? I couldn't be more clear. Uh, I'm not just trying to make a, a semantic sort of a, a corny reference here, but he was right. Right. I, I couldn't be more clear. And because he persisted in that disposition, he didn't acquire any more skills to be more clear. And therefore, he was removed from his position. So I, it's in fairness to him, he, he we had good conversations and sure. he really did start to. It was just too late by the time yeah. he figured out that, oh, gosh, there's all these issues. You know, the board had lost their they had already yeah. decided on their, their next step. Sure. I mean, this is such a proactive thing. I, I really love that approach of like of setting up, you know, because you can be really well intentioned and say, look, we value customer service. Okay. Now you're like Zappos before they were bought by Amazon. That was their big thing. They value customer service. Well, do you want to spend 12 hours on the phone with a customer or do you want to sell shoes? Now you have a conflict. Like which is, which is more important is profitability more important or is customer service. So getting those like out in front, I think that's, that's incredible. That's, that's absolutely genius. Yeah, to me, it's one of the most important bits of culture, values, and expectation work you can do is to examine the conflicts in your expectations, your culture, your values. When you know what wins in a particular situation, then you've really done the work. You've been in this work for you know a number of years. You founded a company based on it. What is something surprising, counterintuitive, even to you as you were doing this work? You go, oh, interesting. One of the places that I don't know if it's, I think it's counterintuitive at some level, but around innovation and creativity is the role that ex clear expectations play there. And uh, so in, in our work for this book, Courageous Cultures, the subtitle is How to Build Teams of Micro Innovators, Problem Solvers, and Customer Advocates. And one of the, and it's research-based, and one of the things that we found that is critical for creating innovation and creativity and fostering that in your culture are clear expectations. And that might feel counterintuitive. It might feel rigid or constrained. Yeah. But the reality is, and all of us are familiar with this. So if I just gave you a blank piece of paper and said, write something creative, everybody goes, oh. and unless you are wired that way, you're staring at these black, I don't know what to do. I don't know. But if I said, uh, write something fun about a white rabbit who wants to become a plumber. <laughs> right? Spot well, on. Okay, got it. You know, and you already have an idea come to mind, right? Oh, he went to trade school. No, he went to night school. No, he did the, the take-home course, whatever it was. And that's the difference. One's a clear expectation. The other is a generality. And so as leaders, if you're wanting more problem solving, more ideas, more micro innovations on your team, it's easy. Be clear about where you need a great idea. 
I really like that's that. Huge. That's huge. That's, I mean, it's, it's our instinct for variety, right? Constantly yeah. just want all the things. And in fact, that counterintuitive piece of advice is, no, you need some clear guidelines so that you can innovate, so that you can get to the most creative solution. That is, that yeah. is great stuff. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so let's, let's go back in time. Um, you know, you've obviously been really successful in this, in this career, but if you could look back to your eight-year-old self um, and say, all right, eight-year-old David Dye, uh, here's the advice that you are going to need because, man, life is going to get interesting. And if you know this about setting expectations as an eight-year-old, um, you're going to be all set. What, what advice would you give to that eight-year-old self? Oh, it's interesting that you asked that because I do, uh, I do morning free writing and, and my own creative writing and so forth. And, and I've actually been exploring that. Awesome. Nice. That you asked that because I have some of the answers. Um, one would be, there's a couple things I would say. One is it's okay to have the expectations you have. Um, that I would validate my eight-year-old self's um, needs, desires, uh, all of that, right? Um, and then I would encourage my eight-year-old self to speak up. Not only is it okay to have them, it's also okay. And in fact, more than okay, it's essential to share. Hmm. And both of those are, are things that if I could wrap that eight-year-old me up in my arms, give him a big hug and pat him on his back and get him out there. All right, go champ, get out there. Those are the two things. It's okay to have them and you need to talk about them. Hmm. Brilliant. That's a big deal. I have four kids, nine and under. And so a lot of, so we asked this question for, for two reasons. Number one, we like it. You know, we, we talk a lot about sort of self-parenting and what do you do with the inner child and what My does that look like? My eight-year-old self right. really needs all of this advice. Right, right. <laughs> but, you know, also selfishly, like I've got, you know, a nine-year-old and a five-year-old and, and so on all the way down to a four-month-old. And when I, when I think about that in the simplest terms, it becomes the most helpful because when I teach my kids something and then I reinforce it to them, what I find is that I reinforce it to myself and therefore I become better and better for it. So I think about that. Number one, your expectations, my expectations, it is okay to have them. But number two, the expectation I have with myself is it is vital to share them, to communicate them, to have that conversation. And what I really love about that is it doesn't say, that wisdom that you share doesn't say, it is okay to have them and they are right or they are mm -hmm. perfect or they are mature or they'll never change. It doesn't say that. It says it's okay. It's okay where you are. And then the next step is have a conversation. And then from there you get to grow and become that next better partner, or leader, coworker, employee. Man, I think about that and I'm like, <laughs> I'm going to take this in a totally different direction. Sure. I, I'm not meaning to go down this rabbit hole, but I'm like, man, that would save so much mental illness. Mm. Right. If I could yeah. clearly communicate, this is the expectations that I think I have. And this is what I, and I could communicate that to somebody. Yeah. My gosh. Yeah. That's, that's incredibly powerful. Yeah. I, I, that's why I give myself that advice is because I know the I know the mental stress that I would have saved my mental and emotional stress. I could have saved myself over the years had I known that at a mature age. Hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, that was the the next question. 
hard uh, one to follow yeah, up. Yeah, I feel like you, you already answered it, but <laughs> yeah. but we've done this before. We ask it anyway, and then we get we get more wisdom. So thanks for humoring us, David. <laughs> <laughs> the the next one is this, right? If you had if this audience, this this podcast audience was everyone, right? Everyone had sort of seen the light and tuned into the fearless year. Um, everyone on earth. <laughs> Shameless self plug. Right. Uh, what What's the one thing you, w- you would not want to leave this conversation without teaching them? Well, I will take it in a different direction. So one of my, one of my life mottos is leave it better than you found it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know that that is tied to expectations beyond it's an expectation that I have of myself. Um, something that I want to do in the way that I approach life is in every relationship and every interaction and if I'm going to live in a place for a while, you know, go camping, hiking, whatever it is, right? If I can leave it better than I found it. And if we'd all do that, what an amazing world we'll create for ourselves and our children and our grandchildren. Hmm. Couldn't agree more. Okay. So, so the focus of this whole podcast is about becoming fear less, um, which opens opportunities for more, right? Like more giving back, more abundance, more opportunity to, to say, look, look at the community that I'm surrounded by. Um, what can I give to it? And it's not being completely fearless. Like I don't have any fears of the expectations that are being set of me or of expectations that I haven't communicated. But, but how can we potentially use this idea of setting clear expectations to live more fearlessly? Oh, that is such a deep question. It's appropriate that you have a whole podcast for it, right? (laughs) So there's a couple of things that come to mind in answer to that question. Um, The first is one of the ways that I have helped myself and others get past stage fright. So obviously I'm a public speaker and the idea of having stage fright might not make sense, but I still remember the first public speech I ever gave where I froze for two minutes, couldn't remember Mm -hmm. a thing. And just stood there (laughs) staring at the audience for all that time, right? Uh, and I've worked with people who had um, crippling stage fright, like shaking and, and it manifested physically. And one of the ways that we get past that fear is, you know, I'll ask you this. If you suffer from stage fright or don't like public speaking, have you ever given somebody a cup of coffee? And of course the answer is, well, yeah, everybody's given somebody a cup of coffee, right? So imagine you're having people over for breakfast and you, and you bring them a cup of coffee. Were you trembling? Were you shaking? No. No. Right? Were you, were you experiencing fear? No. You were giving them something. You were giving them a cup of coffee. When you, sh- when you speak, you're giving them something. Hmm. You're offering that person a chance to engage, and they may learn something from it. They, they, it may make the team better. It may make whatever. So one of the ways that we can get past fear, and I don't know how this, I'd like to say I have a good answer in terms of making this about expectations, but I think it's, an understanding of what you're doing. What you're doing is offering everybody a chance at a better future because it's a future that we've got together now as opposed to being individual. And so it's that act of service where I'm no longer focused on me. I'm no longer worrying about, are they going to accept me? Are they going to like what I have to say? Are they going to reject what I have to say? It's If I offer somebody a cup of coffee, I'm not scared they're going to reject it. Right. They, don't like, they don't like coffee, right? It's, it, and the difference why that works is because it's about the coffee or the tea. It's not about me. Hmm. And so that expectation of people ex- accepting or rejecting something isn't about you. Hmm. It's their like or dislike for tea or coffee. 
And so that way of thinking about things can help us move past some of that fear. And here's the thing. I don't know that we can get rid of it. When you say fearlessly, I like to think of it as, ah, can I manage my fear and live through it? Mm -hmm. Yep, (laughs) exactly. Yep. Nope, exactly. David Dye, this has been such a enriching conversation. I'm, I'm so grateful to you um, for, for taking the time. And at, where can we find more about you? You have a bunch of award-winning books out there, um, an incredible podcast, and we'd love to, to know where our audience can find out more. Absolutely. So the main place for everything, I'll give you the first website is letsgrowleaders.com. Um, the, you can find the podcast there, but if you want to go directly, podcast is leadershipwithoutlosingyoursoul.com. And yes, books are available on Amazon, Courageous Cultures, we mentioned. Um, Winning Well is our other main book, A Manager's Guide to Getting Results Without Losing Your Soul. And those are both available anywhere books are sold. David, thank you again so much. We can't wait to have the next session with you and your wife (laughs) on camera and on mic, um, because we know she is a huge part of your work, your business, and your writing life, I'm sure. Um, And check everything I said and a fact check it, right? It's been an absolute delight. Thank you. You already know the Fearless Year is a podcast, but it's also a community of people looking to live more fearless lives just like you. The Fearless Year pod course is an on-demand resource built around our biggest learnings from the topics covered on the podcast. Each chapter includes additional tools, commentary, downloads, and prompts to further your own fearless journey. You'll also get free access to the Acuity 360-degree self-awareness app on iOS or Android. Finally, subscribing to the pod course also means that every month you will get a hard copy fearless bullet journal in your physical mailbox. This bullet journal has one month of planning pages to chart your day, do personal reflections, respond to challenges from the fearless year, chart your personal growth and customize it to fit your productivity style. Check out all the levels and details at my fearless year. Again, check it out at myfearlessyear.com.